Heads up, listeners, this episode contains discussion of suicide, anxiety, depression, and other mental health issues, so please be advised. Hi, I'm Mia Dunlop, founder of Teen Brain Trust and one of the hosts of Hope Punk Parenting Podcasts. This is a short-form podcast for anyone raising a teenager. Teen Brain Trust brings together a community of mental health experts, neuroscientists, educators, and parents like me in short-form audio to demystify adolescents, help you build a better relationship with your teenager, and help raise the next generation of change makers. This episode is the third in our four-part series on the teen mental health crisis, and we're talking about teen anxiety and depression. We're joined by Teen Brain Trust board member and expert on teen anxiety and depression, Dr. Dana Dorfman, to weigh in on these issues and hopefully provide some clarity for all the worried parents out there like me. Dana has 25 years of clinical experience treating children, adolescents, parents, and adults, working with mental health agencies, parenting centers, schools, and more organizations. Dana, thanks for joining us again. I'm happy to be here with you. Dana, there are all these articles and studies coming out about the rising rates of teen anxiety and depression. As a parent, it can be really overwhelming. Why is all this happening? And can you help us parents understand what's driving this increase? I'm glad that we are talking about this. And it's a question that I am asked often by parents, both in my office and out of my office. Adolescents in general are more prone to anxiety and depression because of where they are developmentally and where they are in their actual brain development. We know that during this stage of life, the prefrontal cortex is just beginning to kind of emerge. And that is the part of the brain in the front of the brain that helps us manage and translate our emotions in addition to many other things. And it's what helps us to to regulate our emotions. Another thing that happens during adolescence is the limbic system, um, which is another part of the brain and kind of the emotional center of the brain. And the limbic system is almost like a, a, a set of raw nerves that we see that adolescents can experience emotions more intensely at this stage of life than at any other stage. So Dana, do you think the rates of teen anxiety and depression are really rising this quickly? Or are we just getting better at recognizing that these things are kind of happening? It's a great question. And I think that's something that a lot of a lot of mental health professionals and a lot of people are considering. My sense is that while I am uh, thrilled that mental health is so much more part of our daily vernacular, that also uh, mental health issues are undeniably rising in the past decade or so. And that's what the statistics also reflect. And now they are greatly exacerbated by the stressors or stresses of the pandemic. The research also attributes the rise in mental health issues in adolescents to a lot of the cultural and societal issues that have arisen and are worsening over the past decades. 
For example, um, if you think about the speed with which our society operates because of technology and because of our access to technology, as well as sort of the acceleration of information and the inundation of information that we all experience. If you think about all of the stimulus that we're all exposed to, it is very difficult to filter it out. For example, at the, you know, at our fingertips, we can find out a crisis that's happening on the other side of the world, which on the one hand is important information for us to have. On the other hand, there is so much emotionally charged information in our culture and in our world that I think it becomes that much more difficult for us to sift through it and to manage it. And I don't think that our brains were necessarily wired to be able to deal with this degree and this pace of information. There are a disproportionate number of stresses that kids are aware of. If you think about climate anxiety, all of the racial tensions, Um, the political unrest, school safety, economic uncertainty. Teenagers feel less protected and therefore more anxious. And another factor, which I'm compelled to mention, is achievement anxiety. We know that there are intensifying academic pressures on kids and there is global competition. And so teenagers today feel an inordinate amount of pressure to perform and to achieve. And this is another big contributing factor to adolescent stress in general. So to wrap it up, I would say there are sort of three factors that are contributing to teens' increase in mental health issues. The one is where they are developmentally, where they are in their brain development, The second is um, the confluence of all of these environmental factors, which I had enumerated. And lastly, are the performance pressures and the academic pressures. So kind of the combination of these three factors, I think, are worsening teens' mental health. So wait, am I hearing this correctly, that teens are more prone to anxiety and depression because of where they're at developmentally? Yes, we used to in like back in the day, I think that parents used to talk about hormones. We used to attribute all teen moodiness or um, emotionality to hormones. There is undoubtedly a hormonal component, but now that we understand the way that the brain works, we also know that there is a lot that is operating in the emotional centers of the brain that are largely catalyzing these kinds of responses in kids. So because they're more prone to these things, what should parents be on the lookout for? Like, how does this kind of anxiety manifest? It's interesting, actually, because we think of anxiety as somebody who is nervous or shaking or is very observably worrying about something. And we think of depression as somebody who is dark and moping around, which can absolutely be reflective of those emotional states. But a lot of times, both anxiety and depression can manifest in behavioral patterns that we wouldn't necessarily associate with anxiety or depression. For example, when kids are very irritable and when they are snappier, well, certainly that can be attributable to sleep deprivation, which can also worsen any of these emotional issues. 
but that actually can be a manifestation of anxiety or depression. And whenever parents see any kind of considerable change in their teen's presentation, which I know is always hard to do because teens are constantly changing. but Very hard to do. Yes, because that is the nature of being adolescent is growing and changing. But when there are any kind of changes in general functioning, eating, sleeping, if there are social changes, if a kid has become more withdrawn, any kinds of substance use, alcohol, vaping, juuling, or marijuana use, and also when kids have changes toward their academic functioning, a kid who had typically been a pretty studious child suddenly shows or demonstrates sort of sudden disinterest in school, any significant changes in daily functioning are of note. Anything longer than two weeks, that's usually kind of the demarcation point of something that needs to be noticed because we all have moods and we all feel a range of feelings. but. If something, if any concerns last for longer than two weeks, two weeks or longer, that's pause for concern. I'm glad you made that distinction, Dana, because a lot of parents are wondering from what I've um, heard is, you know, what is normal behavior versus what is kind of stuff to be on the lookout for. So I'm really glad that you gave us that benchmark. Mm -hmm. I definitely have anxiety in my household. I remember I had a lot of uh, anxiety as a teen. Um, And that manifested for me in being very planned and organized. But it's different now as a parent, helping my son learn how to manage it, how to manage his anxiety. When I see him struggling with his anxiety, I have to almost fight the tendency to jump in and start planning for him. So what do you recommend parents do? And how can we parents help our kids manage anxiety and depression when it comes up for them? This is one of the hardest parts of parenting, I think, that to see your kid in any kind of pain, physical or emotional, makes it so difficult to tolerate. And I know that the more difficulty we have tolerating our own anxiety makes it that much harder to tolerate our kids' anxieties or other emotions. So a lot of times I encourage parents to even connect to their own worries and anxieties. And that means we all have anxiety. It's part of being human. If parents can be self-reflective and self-aware and know when they're feeling anxious and know what it is that triggers them, then they can work on tolerating it and naming it for themselves. Like when we're able to do that, We're better equipped to help our kids. We have a joke in my family, actually, whenever anyone is anxious, uh, my kids will say like, mom, what are you going to say? Don't worry. Because that is our inclination is to say to someone when they're worrying, like, don't worry about it. You'll be okay. Or you have nothing to worry about in an effort to kind of eradicate the feeling when in fact, when somebody is feeling anxious, even naming it can help organize the feeling a little bit because we know that anxiety especially can be such a disorganizing destabilizing feeling so what I would encourage parents to do is be able to label it and maybe even talk about it or communicate it to even say like I was really anxious today and 
blah, blah, blah happened. Or um, I was really worried about a presentation and I felt so anxious and I had to do deep breathing before I went into the meeting. So when parents are aware of their own feelings and they're able to label it and talk about it, that kind of sets the stage for kids to be able to do the same. It also helps us be able to tolerate and and help our kids manage their feelings. So if we as parents, when we're anxious, can model naming anxiety in front of our kids and make it more of a normal topic that we also experience anxiety, it will then help them be able to identify when they're feeling anxious? Yes, definitely. And I think that it also helps us be able to tolerate it when our kids are in some kind of distress because it's so, it's such a natural response for parents, for anyone, but especially parents to react to their own anxiety almost unknowingly and kind of jump in and act on it as opposed to responding to the teen in a way that the teen, that would actually benefit the teenager more. The more that we can connect to our own anxiety and harness it, the better able we are to kind of meet the teenager where they are and help them be able to manage the feelings that they're having internally. The idea is not to get someone to stop feeling what they're feeling. In a way, it's letting them know what it is that they're feeling and trust that they are going to move through it. Otherwise, we become more afraid of what happens to us internally. Such great advice. Dana, how about depression? Should we follow the same protocol? Depression is a diagnostic term. So that also makes it difficult for a parent to be able to say, you know, are you depressed or I think that you are depressed? Absolutely. I would encourage parents to feel free to ask. If you should notice significant changes in behavior and certainly anything that indicates to you depression, I would encourage you to express your concern or to say, and like, look, I, I noticed this, you know, that you've been in your room a lot more. And I'm just wondering kind of how you're feeling. Being sad and feeling depressed intermittently is also an integral part of being human. And so if we ask a teenager about how they're feeling and really trust that we're not saying it in an accusatory way, I think you're depressed. I think as if they've like caught some kind of, as if they've caught COVID or something, but to actually ask them what it is that's going on, how are they feeling? And to validate all of the stress that's going on. I don't know anyone who has not been affected by the pandemic. And I think that teens find it really reassuring to hear from us. You know, this has been really, really tough. And I imagine it's it's been tough for everyone, but I can't imagine being a teenager. I also want to just say absolutely that safety should always be kind of a priority. And as we had talked about in pre- a previous episode also, There's nothing wrong with asking a teenager. I mean, it's certainly uncomfortable to ask, but if there is any possibility that a teenager might be at risk for hurting themselves or even hurting someone else, you want to address that and make sure that you, you know, seek mental health advice or support immediately. So Donna, sometimes I worry when I see my kids so anxious Um, that I'm not equipped to help them deal with it. 
I hope that it doesn't start to paralyze them or become a bigger problem. When should a parent seek professional help? Because we know, as you've said before, anxiety is innate in us humans, but when does it become too much? Parents know their kids best. So a lot of times too, you know when your child is acting differently than they typically do. If you are suspicious or concerned, I would definitely not only invite your teen to have a conversation with you, but you can also always contact a mental health professional, even for a parent guidance session and or talk to other adults who know your teenager well and may have a little bit more objectivity the pediatrician, a school counselor, a coach, even their friend's parent who in confidentiality, I think is worth checking in with as well. Dan, a lot of parents have said to me, they don't know how to distinguish between the normal teen behavior and something to worry about or when to worry. We all worry about our kids. So the more that you can stay in the present and evaluate kind of what it is that you're observing. And if there is any kind of significant change in eating, sleeping, social interactions, and academics, and any other changes in something else that they were previously involved in, like a kid who had always loved soccer and suddenly wants to quit might be indicative of something else that's going on when, you know, something that had previously given someone pleasure suddenly fails to do so. It's, it's perfectly okay for kids to change interests and shift gears, but we just want to, when there's any kind of an abrupt change to also kind of give that extra note. So these situations are so complicated. And even though your advice is so thought out and orderly, it can be hard to know what to do and how to act in the moment when these conversations come up for us parents. So for those of you listening, we've got one more episode coming your way where we're going to outline key tools and ways of working with teens that you can always rely on and fall back to when you're not sure what to do. For now, thank you, Dana, for your expertise. Thank you. By the way, if you struggle with these kinds of conversations, Teen Brain Trust's online learn-as-you-go courses provide accessible science-backed tools that can help you build a better relationship with your teen. And all you podcast listeners can get the first month for free. Just visit teenbraintrust.com and use the code podcast at checkout. Make sure to visit the show notes where we link to the resources we cited earlier. I hope you'll check them out and join us for the final conversation. 